0: Welcome to the Share Life Podcast with Jason Scott Montoya, where we explore stories and systems to live better and work smarter. Welcome to another special edition of the Share Life Podcast. We're in an ongoing podcast series as part of the discovery process for my next book project, From the Garden to the Cross, how Jesus's harrowing mission shows us the way. In this discussion We're going to be reflecting on Jesus's final moments on the cross, the three hours of darkness, the cry of dereliction, and the immediate consequences of Jesus's finishing work. For those just now following along, this event takes place after Jesus's agonizing prayer in the garden, his middle of the night arrest, Judas's betrayal, a night of scheming to kill Jesus, the three denials by Peter, the death of Judas, Pilate asking Jesus about truth, Herod directing Jesus to entertain him. Pilate washing his hands of responsibility, Simon carrying Jesus' cross, and Jesus forgiving his perpetrators. In this discussion, I'm joined by James, Tracy, and Greg. James, say hello. Hello. James is the lead pastor and co-founder of Generations, an Acts 29 network church in the metro Atlanta area. Husband and father are six kiddos with a master's degree in conflict management, and a friend and former pastor of me and my family. Tracy, say hello. Hi. Tracy Rhodes is an author, Bible teacher, writer, listener, and follower of Jesus who cares deeply about church unity, church history, and everyone reading God's word, and as well engaging with others on Twitter, which is where the two of us met. Greg Goodrich, say hello. Hello. Greg is a residential faculty in the Maricopa Community College District in Phoenix, Arizona, south of Flagstaff, where we originally did church community years ago with a focus on showing the clarity of God's existence, the need for redemption by Christ, and application of these truths in culture. Thank you all for joining. In the following conversation, we will read and discuss my harmonization of the story from the different accounts of Jesus's life. And then we'll explore the story through the following questions. What can we learn about Jesus, humanity, and ourselves from this monumental moment in time? And how does that event apply to us today? So I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen. And I will go ahead and read the passage. Uh, so one moment here as I do that. Share screen. All righty. Let me know if you can see this. Anyone? Give me a confirmation. Yes. All right. Well, cool. so this comes from Mark 15 through 41, Matthew 27. 45 through 56, Luke 23, 44 through 45, and John 19, 28 through 30. At noon, a total blackout of darkness blocked the sun and fell over the area for three hours. Jesus did not speak during the darkness, but at three in the afternoon, he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Those still standing nearby responded, See, he's calling for Elijah. Knowing his work was now finished and scripture fulfilled, Jesus spoke once more, I'm thirsty. An observer ran to a nearby jar of sour wine. They soaked a sponge with the wine, attached it to the hyssop branch and lifted the sponge up to Jesus's mouth to drink. Other observers spoke at this as this occurred. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. After receiving the sour wine, Jesus spoke. It is finished. With a loud cry, Jesus exerted his final words in his last breath. Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Jesus bowed his head, giving up his spirit. The temple curtain on the sanctuary was ripped in half, down the middle from the top to the bottom as an earthquake shook the land and the rocks were split. The tombs of people and saints who fell asleep were were raised when their tombs were opened. The overseeing centurion standing across witnessed Jesus' final breath and felt the earthquake. He proceeded to glorify God by speaking the following to those remaining. Truly, this man was righteous and the Son of God. The gathering crowds watching the spectacle beat their chests before going home when they witnessed what had unfolded, but all who knew Jesus remained. Following from Galilee to Jerusalem, the serving women had watched everything unfold from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary Clopas, Mary of James and Joseph, and Mary Salome. So that's our passage. If you need me to pull it back up at any point, just let me know, but I'm going to go ahead and stop sharing my screen for now. so i want to ask you all you know what are the first impressions what are your thoughts what comes to mind what's the piece here um, this particular passage for me it's it's actually the trigger for this project so the line it is finished specifically when i i had a marketing company and when i shut that, that down in 2013 i really wanted to finish that well and there was a connection that I had with that particular phrase of like, what does it mean to finish well? And and what does it mean that Christ finished and what was it that he finished? And how do I participate in that finishing? So Greg, tell, uh, I'll throw it at you. What, what's, um, what's things that come to mind for you?
1: Well, I, I think it's important as believers that we um, approach the, the passage in context and you did a really good, good job of, Drawing out all that comes before, um, with the immediate um, context of what what Jesus uh, experienced and was facing, and what yeah. the believers around him um, fell into in, in denying him, and uh, now he's he's left alone on the cross. Um, the context, as I as I think on it, um, as believers, we go all the way back to Genesis one through three, and in Genesis three we see that. Adam and Eve, our first parents, didn't believe what God had told them, that uh, in the day that they ate of it, they would surely die. They believed Mm -hmm. that they would sin and not endure spiritual death. And so that under the covenant of works, um, that having occurred, then God, through the the animal uh, skin that he covered them with, um, after their self-deception, after their self-justification, he comes in to show that promise through the one uh, the the lamb that would be sacrificed yeah. and so here we have the culmination of all those sacrifices going back uh, to the very beginning when God first offered that up mm-hmm. and then we have Abraham of course him seeing that this wasn't going to come through uh, Isaac it wasn't yeah. going to come through the ram it was going to come yeah. through the lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world and then of course we get John the Baptist uh, Elijah coming on the yeah. scene and promising um that this one would would be coming in in that short time and so here we see that justice of god from the very beginning that is eternal um, expressed and poured out on his son Mm -hmm. Uh, and so we have this this maximal expression of of justice at this closing point for jesus but we also have Mm -hmm. this maximal expression of mercy that fulfills that and that's what makes us christians right is that we believe that god is eternally just and he can't um he can't dwell with sin, uh, but he himself is the one who seeks uh, and, and ensures that reconciliation will come to mankind. And so I think yeah. we, we see that here.
0: And is that, I guess the thing, that, a couple of things that come to mind is, is that justice, is it manifesting in this moment? Is it in this the, the three hours of darkness? Like, how do you kind of wrap around the application of it in a real an event sense
1: uh, well i i'm my mind's drawn to psalm 22 which i know i mentioned to you um, as yeah. we were preparing for this and uh so when when that psalm opens my god my god why have you forsaken me mm-hmm. um and, and we see that in in Isaiah 53, that uh, wrath of God that's poured out, not in a physical way, because that can't be punishment for moral evil, right? Yeah. For moral um, autonomy against uh, the the divine um, order, the moral law, right, that God had placed there in our hearts from the very beginning. Um, the the justice uh, for that cannot be physical. Um, it can't simply be paying for it through my physical suffering, but it's spiritual. And so there is some uh, deep, profound, um, I guess, mourning over our own sin when we recognize that here Christ is taking that uh, spiritually upon himself and he's being denied of his father. It's the vision of sin that has has ripped um, everything in creation apart. Um, even ourselves uh, being divided yes. with ourselves. Um, here, we see that Christ is enduring uh, this, this wrath of God and the separation. Um, yeah. and, and I think that's what, you know, when Christ asks before this, that the cup would be taken from him in the garden, um, as you, you mentioned, I think that's what he's, he's having grief over, mm-hmm. right? It's not, the, it's not the physical pain. Yeah, It's enduring that he's going to be forsaken of God.
0: Yeah, so I definitely want to dive in that a little bit more, and I do think there's an interesting connection between this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane as well, uh, but before we do that, let's let's turn it to Tracy. Tracy, what's uh, what's going on in you when, when you're reading this?
2: Oh, I just took a lot of notes. Um, <laughs> what, it, perhaps just because I was reading it the way you formatted it, what stood out to me were... Christ on the cross. And what were the last words? Yeah. He, he had to say, I've studied that before for Lent. Um, like what, what the last words were, um, both in the upper room and then here, and, you know, it quoted a Psalm. It's a very, um, wonderful Jewish thing to do. Um, it, the living, living water saying he was thirsty love to unpack that. I think, um, there's a lot there. It is finished. Um, you know, you already spoke to that a little bit and then, um, father into your hands. I entrust my spirit. There's such a, such a humble giving there, Mm -hmm. um, and a complete confidence in, in the work that this crucifixion um, act was going to do. So I was really drawn to those. Um, Mm. And then as I went further down, once he gave up his spirit, I love these moments in the Bible. I love the word suddenly in the Bible, (laughs) right? When you read suddenly, you're like, it's all about to happen. And so I really liked, um, everything that happened when he gave up his spirit, right. The temple yeah. curtain torn into the tombs of people, you know, came alive. The centurion has this hopefully sal- salvific moment. Um, yeah. so yeah, that, uh, all of that kind of, um, a suddenly, it doesn't say suddenly, but it was suddenly.
0: Yeah. 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 That's, um, and it, it, it's almost, well, I, I don't know the right word, but there's a, there's, um, an overwhelming sense that comes with that suddenness that is hard to, for me to even know what to describe that, but it's a, it's just an impression of, of overwhelming and, in and, and probably mostly good ways, <laughs> but it can be almost like when the angels ever showed up to pe- to people, they were like frightened, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it, even though yeah. they were there for good reason. So, yeah. so yeah, that's, that's great. Thank you for sharing. Uh, James, let's throw it to you. What's, um, What's pulling out, sticking out, resonating with you in this particular passage?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, what you were talking about, Greg, about the, um, the context of this being not the context of the crucifixion narrative or, or the, the, even the life and ministry of Jesus, but the context being the entire biblical narrative going back to Genesis and this foreshadowing of of redemption and a, a a future singular figure who would crush the head of the serpent even though he might himself would be himself be injured and um the foreshadowing of the 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 sacrifice of animals in the Garden of Eden to to clothe um Adam and Eve legitimately uh, rather than the, the clothes of their own making and so I I get caught up in, I think, that biblical narrative that the idea of it is finished, for instance, being this, this um, culmination of the thousands of years of, of history that's recorded and the story of God being told through the story of Israel that's now uh, finding its real meaning in the story of Jesus and then culminating all of that kind of pointing for and and, yeah. and and moving through the biblical story to this moment. Right. Yeah. Uh, And, and there's so much embedded there. And I think one of the things I, where I just kind of internally am moved by it is understanding at some level um, the longings for uh, the promises of God to be brought to their fulfillment, this, this angst in, uh, the history of Israel that's building generation after generation after generation. And if we're readers and studiers of the Bible connecting to that, um, that, that, that sort of pulsing longing for like, like that guttural, like, when is this going to be over dealt yeah. with? It's like, and it's all converging here. Right. Um, and I mean, that's, man, it's just incredibly emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, to have it all pointing to, and then it's going to culminate here. And then this whole new reality is birthed in this moment, right? This whole new, um, uh, uh like all of history's built towards this and now all of eternity is going to flow out of this moment. And, and so it's just, it's kind of just breathtaking. Yeah. And, uh, and so I just, I'm just stirred by it and captured by it, and and
0: um, I, I don't know. I, I love that. Yeah. So, what would you? I get. I guess the thing that comes to mind is both from Greg and James, uh, particularly the the spiritual dynamic and and the art overarching story. The the dy- like there's a lot going on here that's not that's not obvious this is all you were, if you were like an observer, you walked up to the cross and saw this guy and he said it just finished, like, this isn't all obvious. And even as we read it, it's not entirely obvious as well. So uh, how, what's, how do we convey that in a powerful way that people connect with it? Um, in other words, there's a depth of what's happening that, it, that is not obvious. And so what, what would you say to that, James?
3: Well, in trying to convey it, I, I start reaching for maybe ideas that that people who aren't familiar with the the Christian story, maybe, or the the biblical story. So I, I don't know, the first thing that comes to my mind when you ask that is like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, I mean, imagine you've never heard of Tolkien's stories, you've never seen the movies, read the books, and you walk in... Uh, to a room full of of people watching this moment at Mount Mordor where where the the ring like frodo's finally arriving at this place in this dark reality where he's trying to destroy this thing and i mean you could probably almost make fun of it right like mm-hmm. it's easy to dismiss this moment if you haven't journeyed th- from the beginning and and from you know where the hobbits began and where the, like if yeah. you don't know all of that you know and and so i think I think having something of the that context is so important that if we're going to understand the gravity, like the the eternity and and, and earth shattering like reality of what's going on in this moment, um, we we have to spend some time trying to develop that or trying to to, to press into that and 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 understand it. Um, but but I would liken it probably to a story like that that has yeah. this sort of epic yeah um feel to it but if you don't make the journey then the the climax is really pretty anticlimactic
0: yeah that's interesting because it it also kind of should you know the thing that i see across story movies literature is it does seem to convey the apocalyptic the, the spiritual dynamics that are all around us but that are not always obvious and it's interesting to see how much that is conveyed and in tolkien's case he was actually a christian um, and so you have Christian authors, but even authors that aren't—they're they're often conveying that spiritual layer that's going on. So, I guess you know to talk about the history piece—you know, I the thing that comes to me in in terms of the context of the Israelites' history is—you know—we're talking this situation with Christ is happening at Passover, and now we have this darkness unfolding and so i immediately think of the darkness of the passover of egypt is that a greg is that an appropriate attribution for me to do is that uh, helpful for me
1: well uh so <laughs> can you uh draw the correlation uh, a bit more tightly so i can be clear yeah yeah that?
0: so you know moses is still trying to deliver the people god is working through him and the last plague is is the darkness over egypt and the and the um, the taking of the firstborn by by the angel of death for those who did not have the uh, the uh, blood splattered across the, the doorpost and so I immediately think that's that's the most obvious connection I don't sure. know if that's uh, seeing something in it that's not there but but that's my connection point
1: Thanks for that Yeah I yeah, think yeah. that's accurate um, as I understand it in in uh, the history or historic Christian church. We have, uh, the, uh, precedent, right? The fathers and mothers, uh, that have built up the faith for us. They, uh, seem to state that there's a covenant of works that we're all under when we're outside of Christ. Right. And, and we can't attain to grace, uh, in, uh, obtain mercy from God in our own works. Mm-hmm. Um, and that covenant of mercy though, that covenant of grace begins with Adam when he receives yeah. it by believing in the promise. And so when we look through uh, the history of Israel or the church, uh, we see, you know, parallels. So when Christ is breaking his body and and pouring out his body and his blood uh, and having us take the Lord's Supper, um, I believe that is directly correlated to the Old Testament, right? It's one covenant of grace, but we have two different dispensations here. And we have the Passover which is a lamb that was slain that needed to be consumed by the family. Uh, and um, that was to be taken in joy. Uh, the blood was to be put over the doorpost. And I think that, uh, you know, that this is a, a further and more detailed application to the people that were to be redeemed of what was given to Adam. And then of course what would be fulfilled in Christ. So that Lord's Supper that, you know, if we're a member of the, the body of Christ and we're taking uh, the Lord's Supper, we should be seeing that connection with um, our fathers and mothers throughout history, uh, even, you know, as they took the Passover. Uh, yeah. This is the fulfillment of that. Did that answer the question?
0: Yeah, I, I, it does. And I guess the other part of that would be, is, is this a symbolic thing happening or is there a literal um is there something literally happening whether it's at a spiritual level in this darkness that is sort of unraveling those those pieces you described
1: you mean in the darkness that Christ's ex- experiencing
0: yeah in the darkness he experienced
1: yeah well i i think it's death he he mm-hmm. poured out yeah. himself um despising the shame of the cross right even okay. to death and because of that he's worthy to be called um the son of god he's He's the one who you know endured the temptations that were brought to him by the, the greatest tempter that you can imagine after 40 days of you know denying himself yeah. and denying his flesh at that very most vulnerable point, he endures those temptations and you see that understanding, that connection with his father. And so yeah. then, as that plays out um, throughout his ministry and it comes to this point, you see. That he has no sin; he has not uh, given way to any of the temptations that face any of us, and so for that he can be a high priest, but a high priest that stands forever and yeah. um, and and stands there. So as God looks at us, uh, he sees Christ. So as far as the darkness goes, he's he's endured the darkest of, uh, <laughs> of dark, I guess. Right? Yeah. And uh, we, I think we we often when we are caught up in those hindrances that uh, distract us from the kingdom of God or the sin, right? That so easily entangles. We are um, not cognizant really of if you sin, you'll die for the believer. That doesn't mean they're outside of Christ, but there's spiritual death that remains. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's the, the, the reality of what sin brings as a consequence um, into our our hearts, into our families, into the, our culture, into the globe, into the world, uh, is is shown here and reflected yeah. in Christ. That's what our sin deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as uh, James pointed out, I think that if we if we haven't followed the full context, the journey up to this point, it is. You know, I remember reading this as a teenager and thinking, "Is that it? Right?" <laughs> uh, you know, it's yeah. it's three verses is, um, the, the core of the passage that we're looking at today. Right. And so it can be so easily missed what depth there is in that.
0: Hmm. So Tracy, what would you add to that? And, 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 and also how does that bring, how does that moment of darkness connect us to this, this cry of God abandoning him? And, and then the third thing I would throw at you would be, you know, you have a heart for, for biblical literacy and everyone reading the scripture. And so you want them to know that story and, and and how would you tie that into this particular dynamic
2: and the main thing running through my mind the whole time is this is why we read the old testament mm. <laughs> right we we have those contingencies of people that think um that the new testament is is all all we need to develop our faith and yeah I, I mean, right away, we go back to Genesis one through three, right. And that thread that carries us through, and then we're going to move on, um, from here into the development of the church and revelation. Um, I I would say that was probably my biggest faith development was realizing that the Bible was one long narrative like Mm -hmm. that. And we're also, um, part, part of that story. And so, yeah, certainly a very good argument for stepping into that. Um, I think what what jumps out at me this particular reading is that it was three hours of darkness and everyone would have experienced that. Mm. Jesus did not experience that alone. You know, we, um, we read about his baptism and there were... Um, you know, d- did everyone see the dove? Did everyone hear the voice? What exactly was that like? But ev- everyone experienced this darkness.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and I always, you know, I, I have a wild, vivid imagination. And I always think this was the day before Sabbath, right? Um, for Jewish people, did they did they go to the temple the next day? like, I have a really hard time thinking that something this monumental happened. And then they're like, okay, let's just go have a regular Sabbath, you know? And um, it, so, yeah, that always enters my mind too. Um, you know, trying to fit it into the context of um, mm. an ancient Jewish tradition and community. Yeah. So those things all are kind of rolling.
0: Yeah. What, what would you say to the death piece and specific to I think in our culture, American culture, particularly, but, but Western culture as well, like death is so foreign to us, um, in so many ways. And I, I often, even, even to my, for myself, I often think I, I completely underestimate death and its impact and its effects. Is there anything you would add to or speak to that on on that dynamic?
2: I thought, Greg was doing an excellent job of pointing out that we're talking about so much more than a physical death here. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a spiritual death that exists for anyone who has has not found, um, you know, this this relationship with Christ uh, for for Christians, and we we absolutely don't have a good concept yeah. of that. Um, and you can even, I mean, if you want to take it to the point of physical death, I don't think we have a very good understanding of that either. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't think, um, I I think often of the act of lament, um, and the various ways that we read people in scripture processing, um, both the spiritual and the physical death. And I think we've lost track of a lot of that, um, in our culture so yeah implication after implication
0: yeah james what would you throw in there and and when you think about the cry of dereliction and god saying why have you know jesus saying to god and 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 just trying to reconcile like isn't jesus god and how do i sort these pieces out and what's going on and Mm. what's what's what do you what would you speak to that I mean,
3: I don't know. I mean, in many ways, it's it it, it feels somewhat elusive, right? Because I think in um, in in our human experience, we know something of um, not necessarily the forsakenness of, of being forsaken by God, but of being at some level without God. Um, even for us who are Christians, we've experienced something of of life outside of union with Christ, or even in moments of sinful struggle, um, we've experienced even with union with Christ as maybe our defining reality. But but at the level of felt reality, we can feel that alienation because of our sin at times when we struggle and um, we feel abandoned and um and so I, I think part of where I go is my own experiences of of maybe lostness, alienation, forsakenness, those kind of emotions, and then going like, but this was this was that all the way down, right? Yeah. Uh, and and for and for the second person of the Trinity who had known nothing but intimate, eternal fellowship with the, the Father and the delight of the Father and and so I, there's, there's a lot of mystery embedded in that for me. Um, only, only, I guess, in as much as I, I could say, um, there's a level of anguish there that I couldn't possibly yeah. even imagine. Um, and so I could take my worst anguish and then multiply that many times over, <laughs> yeah. not approach the kind of anguish that, that Jesus is going through. And again, that's just at the emotional, psychological, mm-hmm. um, you know level I, I think too the the there is something that just some of what was triggered i guess as i'm listening to you others talk is um you know there is there is i guess this the the, the element here of um the substitutionary reality mm-hmm. of what's going on here um that one of the <laughs> uh you know, if you, if you just share the gospel, let's say, at its at its core, it's the fact of Jesus's life, death, resurrection, for the forgiveness of sin, for all who would receive him with empty hands of repentant faith or something like that, right? Yeah. So you could go through some presentation of that. Um, but I think part of what I, I really believe we're in a desperate need in, in American church culture, forget secular culture, American church culture of recovering a, a robust biblically proportioned doctrine of sin Um, we don't understand the the evil and the Mm -hmm. the the, the sinfulness let's say of sin I mean part of what so in this passage draws so much of that out of me because here I am I can look upon my savior who I love whose finished work I have some understanding of and, and and the why behind it and the what it accomplishes for me and yet my instinct, my, my my natural impulse is to til- still trivialize my own sin in light of the price he's paying specifically for my sin and the sin of the world. And, and so I think these small thoughts that we have of our own sin, the minimizing of the whole category of sin, the reduction of sin to, to something of a moral faux pas versus like this, yeah. this cosmic treason against a holy loving God, like I have greatly diminished, and I do this chronically, sort of pathologically, I, I diminish the seriousness and the gravity of my own sin and, and where that originates and what that means and, 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 and what that then um, requires of Jesus in order to cover that guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that's, that's an aspect of this that I find to be um, something we're in desperate need of recovering um, a, a a more broadened, deepened understanding of, of, of sin, uh, beyond just, you know, mistakes and, you know, un, unadvisable behavior or whatever. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, yeah. Well, and also what comes to mind is, is, is like, you're describing the weight of sin is now on Jesus in this moment. And as a result, it's the weight is so heavy that it literally splits him from God or, you want to phrase it, but it creates something, it gives us a clue of just how severe it is. But even that clue isn't sufficient to for us to even grasp it.
3: Well, yeah. And when we when you think about a, a place later where Paul's going to explain something of what happened here with that language in Second Corinthians 5, of, of that that he who knew no sin became sin mm-hmm. for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so um Paul's giving an explanation there of something that would wouldn't be intuitive to us otherwise of, yeah, is isn't just, I mean, it is transactional at one level. Um, but it's beyond that. I mean, this isn't just Jesus exchanging his life for ours, taking our penalty upon himself so that we could uh, receive newness of life from him. This is, I mean, the idea of Jesus becoming sin. And so there's my sin, but then there's the, 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 that sin then writ large across the human ages yeah. and then um expanded to include all the categories that i actually do find reprehensible even if i don't find my own sin reprehensible <laughs> yeah the, the things i would maybe rightly uh understand is that and and jesus is taking the the whole tonnage of all of that on himself um there's this, I mean there's some mind-boggling like mm-hmm. can't get your the, co- the
0: cost Yeah. Cost of grace. is beyond our comprehension. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Greg, what would, what would you add to that in terms of this conversation? And, and then now we've got these people talking about Elijah, like what's the Uh connection there? (laughs) Are they just clueless?
1: (laughs) Yeah. That, uh, to be honest with you, that uh, element about uh, Elijah uh, struck me this time in a way that it hadn't before. Um, And I, am not sure I can draw out too much, uh, with respect to that. Um, was he calling, were they expecting him to call on Elijah for some particular reason? I'm not sure maybe James or Tracy can, can, uh, plug in there, but I did, uh, uh, as James. Does, was, well,
0: just real quick, it does make me think of Peter when on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he just said, let's build a tent, and he's just kind of like talking nonsense, you know? <laughs> uh, he but, wants to hang out there. Um, <laughs>
1: leads nicely into where my mind was going when, when James was speaking. Uh, in the depth of the, what it costs to redeem mankind um, is a cost benefit analysis, I think, for Christ, <laughs> right? Um, he wouldn't redeem um, if no one would be redeemed. Uh, I don't think he would have uh, been crucified if the precise uh, end, right, the goal for which he would want to die, uh, were in any in any possible world, right, uh, yeah. as a philosopher, right, <laughs> uh, in any possible world, not uh, not uh, actually achieved right yeah and so my mind was going to isaiah 53 um and i'll just read this short section uh 10 and 11 Uh, yet it was the will of the lord to crush him he was put uh, he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt he shall see his offspring he shall prolong his days the will of the lord shall prosper in his hand out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Uh, Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So as uh, James was mentioning the uh, depth of, of what this would have cost Christ, I'm Thinking as Christians, and he also added to that, that we trivialize sin um, often ourselves, right? We need to be, have the focus on believers. We need to have focus on the church, not on the world. The church can get its act in order and understand it's, its God. I think that um, the rest, the, the game's over, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and so as we think on this, often we've, we've thought, well, Christ is redeeming me to heaven, right? Um, Christ taught us in the Lord's prayer that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. The new city of Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven onto earth. Um, we're seeing that, you know, in Isaiah 6, uh, the earth is full of the glory of God. 19, uh, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, this earth is not, although it will be destroyed by fire, right, in in Peter's terms, there are so many prophetic uh, ways that we see that this is not literal. And so we have this literalism that is there in us that is tied to this sin, this way of interpreting God and his promises and what Christ did. He didn't die for me as an individual so that I can be saved and go to heaven and live uh, there in some ether. Yeah. Uh, he, he died so that I would be resurrected as he is now uh, resur- been resurrected. Um, I will be resurrected. The perishable will be put off. The imperishable will endure. The work that we're doing right now connects to a a redemption of creation itself, Romans 8, right? And so
0: so what would you, I guess I want to push back a little bit as if someone were to come at you and say, you know what, Greg, that sounds interesting. It sounds compelling, but you know, my divorce or my marriage just ended in divorce or my kid just passed away if Jesus really finished things, then why is this happening? Like, what would you say to that person? Or how would you
1: speak to Well, so, so the work that he's doing here, the game's over, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sin, the, the atonement for sin, we don't have the sacrifices continuing. It's once mm-hmm. and for all. Um, and so in justification, the elect, those that are sons of God, sons and daughters of God, Um, yeah all ages have been have been redeemed now that that has been accomplished but it needs to be applied Mm. and it's applied when i repent it's applied when i then from there uh come to understand and have christ's words dwelling in me richly and then that's applied in my life he was forsaken uh we don't want to maybe speculate on uh, what caused a, a divorce in any particular case, but that person who's going through that um, in some measure is either experiencing the, um, the chastisement of God um, as a son or who is not currently finding themselves in Christ is being called back. And that strife that came in in, in Genesis three is part of the curse. And the curse is not something to condemn forever. It's to call us back. It's yeah. to call us back to those skins, right? That, that Adam and Eve, that, that we can put on, we can put on Christ. Yeah. Uh, and, and so the chastisements that we might be going through in our everyday lives, the loss of a, a son or daughter, the, the divorce, um, you know, the, the cultural tremors that, that we may feel, the, the persecution that we see in the church throughout the world. Um, Christ is very present and he's present as a father to a son, uh, as a brother, um, and, and, and we should endure those things with pleasure. Um, and as, as crazy as that might sound, we're, we're to yeah. suffer with joy.
0: I mean, that's what James says, Paul says, geez, I mean, it, it, it's pretty prominent, but in reality, it's, it, it seems like an impossible ask, mm-hmm. right? So I want to throw this over you, Tracy, you know, We now have this, I'm thirsty line here. If you want to add anything to what was said, feel free to, but also this, I'm thirsty. And and there's another uh, allusion to the the Passover with the hyssop branch being lifted up to Jesus. I actually have a personal connection to this particular part of the story because several years ago, my great, when I moved to Atlanta, one of the reasons I moved here was because I had a little bit of family. And one of those family members was my great-grandmother she was 99 when we moved here and she lived another 10 years and the day that she died um, my wife had this sense like we need to go see her because this is going to be her last day and so we went over there and i mean just looking at her i mean she was almost dead and my her mouth was um dry she couldn't even generate saliva and and my aunt, her daughter, my great aunt, she had this little sponge and she put it in the water and put it in her mouth and dabbed it around. And just, I got to see Christ in that moment in a way that I'd mm. never seen before. Mm. And like just a connection to God through her last act on earth when she died mm. a few hours later. That was, that was beautiful for me. It was life-giving.
2: Yeah. I think, what a beautiful story. What a, what a wonderful long life lived. That's, yeah. that's really beautiful. Um, I think what we see, see here, as James said, we could take a year and not unpack this. Right. I, I just feel like there's so, so much going on, but um, it, it's almost like we see this volley back and forth. Jesus is human. Jesus yeah. is God. Jesus is doing um, this act that has been required of him since Genesis one. Jesus is thirsty because he is <laughs> A man who is probably, you know, I th- I think of like, I know whenever um, an individual who is dying will bring in hospice, if you talk to a hospice worker, they know very well the steps um, that, that a body is taking as it is entering into its final stages. Uh, so there's a very practical sense yeah. in that case. And as you, as you tell your story, um, that certainly jumps out. Um, I, I was quickly trying to look up the Elijah uh, and um, reference, and interesting, uh, it, uh, and it was a very quick search. It appears that that's only in Matthew and Mark, and if you consider the audiences um, that those two writers wrote to, that would make some sense, but it's almost, uh, it is um, a mocking uh, we don't know how many people said it. Maybe it was one or two, right? We know that sometimes um, the uh, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? Okay. So maybe the mocking just came from one or two. Um, obviously, some people in the crowd, some people in um, Jerusalem had thought John the Baptist um, was the Elijah. So it's kind of weird to see it come up again. Um, but then the mocking continues mm-hmm. because what do they give Jesus? whenever he's thirsty, sour wine. Um, I, one of my translations actually said vinegar, um, mm-hmm. which in our day and time gives us an even clearer taste of the nastiness yeah. <laughs> that they offered him. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, that's it was unsatisfying,
0: jumps- even if it was offered is what you're saying. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. A-
2: and intentionally unsatisfying. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that I think that's yeah. what I see the most, just this, um, a, a great disrespect at least from some in the crowd and this this volleying back and forth between jesus as human jesus as mm-hmm. god um which is really beautiful right there's a lot of theology in that as well
0: yeah but it, it also does feel like like we're gonna get a few more kicks in before you die you know it's yeah. pretty horrifying and, and knowing what's going on in retrospect obviously <laughs> and, and i
2: I could not think, I I can't think of the verse right off the top of my head, but the verse that says, um, to, to those who do not know God, it's foolishness,
0: mm.
2: right? There's a lot of that playing, um, and and still today, if we were to tell this crucifixion story, you know, um, it's, it's mocked. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah.
3: I'm wondering too, I've never thought about the, you know, how like there's certain lines that you just sort of blow past. Like I've never really given a great deal of consideration to the Elijah thing, but But camping on this notion of Jesus thirsting is kind of, um, it's just provoking. This is something I'll probably want to go now look at because (laughs) thanks for for sending me down a rabbit hole here. But like that's in John, I don't know if it's recorded in the other gospels, that's in John's gospels for sure in 19. And I'm just thinking about all the places that John has fixed on this idea of Jesus inviting those who thirst. Mm-hmm. Um, so so like I mean, it comes up first a little bit. We see in um in the wedding at Cana and John 2 and and you've got this thing around uh around water and then to wine and, and so there's something of uh, beverages for figuring prominent <laughs> in John's narrative somehow. But then John 7 is this really seminal passage where Jesus says um that, that that on the last day of the feast, the great day Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts. Let him come to me and drink. And then he says, whoever believes, as the scripture has said, out of him will flow rivers of living water. So in one way, Jesus is identifying with the, the very real physical thirst that comes about in the human experience that, that maybe maybe's tapping into the larger thirst of our souls, right? And, and I mean, even in that passage in John 7, Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, he doesn't even say if anyone thirsts for me or thirsts for God or thirsts for, he just says, if, you, if you're thirsty, then come to me and, and I can take care of that. And so we, we have him experiencing our thirst and yet being nourished with something that is of the world that is utterly unsatisfying, that leaves a sour taste in our mouth, which is what mm. everything of this world does. And then juxtaposed perhaps with John 7, where, where Jesus is saying, no, I'm the, I'm out of me, come, come, well, he actually says out of the, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So if we come to Jesus and drink from him, that, that not only will we receive living water, but will actually be a conduit for, or a, Mm -hmm. a, a vessel through which living water would flow. And then he's talking, it says, John says explicitly, he's talking about the spirit and one of the fascinating things about that to me is I remember some years ago studying this that passage in John 7 and it jumped out to me that what Jesus says, um, as the scriptures have said, out of him will flow rivers of living water. Well, if yeah. you go and you do a diligent, thorough search of the scripture that Jesus is quoting, it doesn't exist. You can't find anywhere in the Old Testament that Jesus is quoting a specific passage. and And what it led me to my own sort of maybe conclusion, and this isn't explicitly stated anywhere, but my sense is that part of what Jesus is saying is that the whole narrative of the Old Testament collectively is, is essentially this invitation to come to me and drink that you might have life and have it to the full. Um, and, that, and so when he says, as the scriptures have said, I, I think it's this promise from so long ago and, and, and in so many different ways that, that there's going to be this living water that's going to come and that can nourish us and then flow th- through us to actually be a part of nourishing others in this world that can't be nourished by anything in this world. Yeah. So I don't know. There's, so those themes of, of the thirsting and water and all those things start to kind of just flood into my mind a
0: bit. Yeah, yeah. Greg, anything you would add to that? Uh,
1: my mind's going to the contrast in um, what the world uh, has uh, right um, the judgment of God is uh, pictured as a cup, right? That is, they they will drink from this cup, right? Um, and the uh, drunkards in Isaiah uh, that are um, filling the tables with vomit, right? The priests and the prophets of the land have nothing to offer the people, um, and the irony that they're in, you know, fairly. Off- materially they' they're well off right yeah. um, but they, they have starved themselves, they've starved their people and here Christ is you know even under this uh, to call it agonizing with our own you know trials that we would call agonizing doesn't doesn't reach to the ultimate sense of it, but that he would he would endure this agony um, and yet hold fast to the Word of God. Uh, really does show, he's not, as some might uh, think of it, well, he's God, right? Um, he's he's not really experiencing suffering, um, but mm-hmm. we understand the incarnation, um, at least to the level that God has revealed it. Uh, we can understand, no, he, he in every way that we experience temptation, in every way that we experience pain, he's experiencing that here. And so the mockery that, um, it says the in In Psalm 69 um, speaks about uh, that that prophecy that he would thirst, right? That he would be offered vinegar. And it says that uh, there, when I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate and the drunkards make songs about me. That's pretty deep uh, where it's reaching not only just to these physical sufferings, but the world um, who you're offering yourself for is is mocking you. And so there's a lot in that, right? For <laughs> <Yeah. after> Marriages,
0: <laughs> as we do with our children. Um, well, give us a couple examples, practically speaking, for how you might apply that.
1: Uh, well, if, if, uh, if my children have, are, are, you know, they're teenagers, right? So yeah. uh, a couple of them anyways. Um, if, if they are uh, having some difficulty, uh, does that throw the eternality, um, of God for, for a, a loop, right? Is he, is he, uh, is he
0: surprised
1: <laughs> trying to figure out how to respond? Is he responding in, uh, some passionate anger? Yeah. Um, no, the consequence of sin is death. And he holds fast to that, uh, and, you know, eternally, and that's expressed in, in creation and providence. And so me as a father, how should I live that out before my children. Well, the, the consequence is the consequence. I'm sorry, but you made the yeah. choice, right? Um, and just standing firm in that in yeah. that word. That's uh, interesting. Think,
0: yeah. The, our capitulation to, to show mercy may be unnecessarily in certain situations to their yeah. own detriment.
1: So where we might be mocked, um, where we may be enduring difficulty, even among, in the midst of our church, right? In the midst of believers or in our own home, we should be standing fast, looking at ourselves, right, reflecting, seeing if I have sin involved, but when we're mocked, let's not be surprised. Uh, yeah. sin, sin is in our midst, and we need to respond to that in a godly way, as Christ did.
0: Yeah, what, how, Tracy, what would you say to that in terms of res- the response of mockery and, and human wrath?
2: We we just entered Twitterland.
0: <laughs> That's a, I figured you'd be a good fit for that. <laughs> yeah,
2: good good fit, Jason. Um, I I'm often asked, like how how do you decide? What to respond to, right? So I ask a ton of questions on Twitter. Um, and my reason for it is because there are a number of very smart, very seminary trained individuals like, like we have today, right? And, and I am um, a, a lay person in the church who loves Jesus, um, w- with all her heart. And so why wouldn't I want to glean as much information as I could? So I ask these questions and, you know, you only put a few characters in a tweet. And so it's hard to communicate the depths of conversations like today in a tweet really hard. Okay. Um, and, and so you're often misunderstood. Um, it, you have a tremendous variety of different theological backgrounds and Christian traditions. And my response, when people ask me, how do you decide who to continue interacting with, what questions to ask, et cetera, et cetera, I rely very heavily on the Holy Spirit, right? And I'm convinced we don't do that enough because like, like you said, that we should not be surprised that there's mockery. We should not be surprised that there that, that sin enters into these interactions and these conversations, even among Christians, my gracious, we're still sinners, right? Yeah. <laughs> through and through. Um, and so I rely very heavily on the Holy Spirit, um, especially if it's something that I feel came to me in a mocking tone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to, I probably won't respond to it at all, but if I do, I ask the Holy spirit first and it's amazing how grace filled he can guide you to be, if you will let him.
0: Yeah. The interesting connection that comes to mind is the cry of dereliction to what you're saying in the sense the Holy spirit, the separation of God, that very thing you're describing that that is what you rely on is, is now sep- split from Christ in a, in a sense. And I don't know, it, it kind of illuminated perhaps the, the costs in a way that I hadn't thought about before. In a very, maybe a specific example. Like we're, we're navigating life in these sort of day-to-day scenarios and without the Holy Spirit, it, it can quickly turn into a train wreck.
2: Well, and I think James addressed that so well. Um what a mist! there's so much mystery in that yeah. you know three three days of jesus being it, it, jesus who cannot be separated yeah from the tree yeah i can't even yeah. so yes mystery i, I i'm a big well, fan of the word mystery
3: Twitter for a question and see what you get back <laughs> yeah. you can explain in 140 characters <laughs> <laughs> yes.
2: i was thinking too actually um James, when you were talking and you were mentioning the uh, how culturally we don't grasp the fullness and the depth of our sin and and what our sinful nature leads to, put that in a sermon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, um, sometimes it feels like the amount of. I hate to use the word knowledge because um, that's such a, a Western culture thing, but even even. Uh, a soul understanding of how separated we are from God. Mm-hmm. That's a lot for pastors, for teachers, et cetera, to communicate.
0: Yeah. And and I think it's so vital that there are so many dangers and, and issues. Well, the world is just so complex to start with, but there are so many dangers that without the Holy spirit, we couldn't avoid them. Even if we had the most wisdom possible, we, we literally need a, a personal intervention at, at a day-to-day level in a lot of cases so it in
3: i mean part of the other side of, like so i think as christians we naturally gravitate to going well how does jesus respond to this ill treatment how does he absorb or you know mm-hmm. and so forth but but we sometimes will forget to go okay, i mean now we're talking about okay apart from the holy spirit well apart from the holy spirit looks an awful lot not so much like jesus on the cross and his response but the people who are doing these things mm-hmm. The, the mocking the the, yeah. the all and so my question too would go towards going what are the ways in which i'm opposing jesus uh with maybe even good intentions or maybe just kind of not a lot of thoughtfulness towards how i might but what, what are the ways in which i'm accusing jesus what are the ways in which i think yeah. i might like i can sometimes perceive man jesus is so lucky to have me on his team i'm really <laughs> satisfying jesus's thirst for followers with the way i'm <laughs> right? And it's like, no, what if my life's just a bunch of sour wine to Jesus? Mm. Um, And so I think there's, like, if we're going to look at this at the human level, um, and what does it say about humanity? Well, the clearest picture of what it says about humanity isn't what we see in Jesus, it's what we see in his accusers and his, his persecutors, his, his assailants, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And so recognizing that those instincts live in me, yeah. And I have to, they, they, they live in Jesus's people. I mean, even the fact that at some of our best, <laughs> I mean, where are the disciples in all this? Right. <laughs> yeah. They're Close at They're hand. gone. <laughs> even for those of us followers, like we're not always in the right place closest to Jesus or to, you know, taking our stand where we should be. And so, um, what it, what it makes me think of is the inherent cowardice, um, self-protection, um, the, the sort of defensive posture or the pride and arrogance, um, that lurks in my own mm-hmm. heart. Um, and that manifests maybe in most of the time in more subtle ways than attacking Jesus. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but nonetheless, maybe still. Yeah. In some but way. what we
0: do to the least of these we do to him. Right. Sure. Yeah. I think the other thing is, is, um, yeah, I lost my t- train of thought, so um, I'll, maybe it'll come back to me, but um, anyone want to jump in, Greg? Next part is, Father, so we have this, it is finished piece, and then we have, Father, and I entrust my hands into your spirit. What's, uh, what's the importance of that? I, I guess I see a, I think the interesting part of it, just based on some of the stuff we've talked about so far, is, There's almost a, I don't know if blindness is the right word. It doesn't feel like the right word, but there's something that like Jesus is physically suffering and there's a spiritual dynamic, but he's still at the end of all of that. He's trusting God in the midst of it and in the conclusion
1: of it. Yeah. Uh, It it seems to me that um, we do again, get a contrast, right? We get the contrast between Christ here um, entrusting his spirit to God at the moment where the body and soul are separated, mm-hmm. right? Um, and this is in the midst of the extreme spiritual wrath, right? That's being poured out on him, um, from his father. And if we were to think about, um, you and know, I guess
0: I just to just to stop there for a second.
1: Sure. Sure.
0: So if our sin is in to Christ, and god's wrath is essentially it's on that sin right that to to kind of more clarify what you're describing there
1: which god christ is the paul speaks about this being he became sin mm -hmm. right he who knew no sin became sin for us yeah so um
0: but uh, i guess i'm wondering like is that is god like literally purging the sin destroying it like that's where it's not entirely obvious to me what's happening there
1: (laughs) well the the penalty is paid right Mm -hmm. so uh he he had no sin right and so we see that in his resurrection The, the the physical death and all that comes before it right in in all the the grief uh stricken world that we experience inwardly and outwardly is a callback from God, right? It was not original in creation. We were not to die. Yeah. And then that is imposed by God. It's not circumstantially, um, you know, we send, and, and so there's some natural consequence in the physical realm. Uh, no, this was actually imposed by the creator who created the world out of nothing, right? Yeah. Um, he is then imposing this physical death on Adam and Eve and all their posterity. And that should show each and everyone who is under it that they have sin. And um, as we identify with what is being experienced here with Christ, he says uh, that he's putting his trust in the Father as he's giving up his spirit. Contrast that with sin from the beginning and every sin that is there in our hearts throughout human history, right? Uh, You have autonomy we Mm. we want our Mm. we want our view of what is good not what is good make ourselves judge we want to yeah, yeah we want to redefine ourselves in in our own view of human um not who god made me right and so we see that even now right and culturally we see that rippling throughout um and and christ is coming here with knowledge and so I know Tracy alluded to the idea of knowledge being Western, maybe that that word. But I, I believe that we see in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, we see that um, the the leaders of this age crucified the Lord of glory without knowing it. They didn't know that he was mm-hmm. the Lord of glory. If they did, they wouldn't have done it. And so having having that come out so explicitly from Paul, either we believe Paul or we don't, and yeah. why would we believe Paul? We also see in Hebrews that if um, if someone wants to come to God, he has to believe that he exists
3: mm-hmm.
1: and that he's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And there's so yeah. much there for me that's tied up in who Christ was. From the very beginning of his manhood, all the way through here to now giving up his spirit, that he trusts God because he knows that he's trustworthy.
0: Yeah, Adam God didn't is good.
1: Trust God. Yeah, and it Adam seems didn't like that Yeah, Adam had his his eyes on his wife for whatever reason, right? <laughs> uh, and, and his wife uh, being deceived as Adam is standing there um, is, is is deceived to believe that God lied right? The one who created your, your nature doesn't want you to have what's good for that nature. Um, And and so Christ here is, is submitting to that human nature. He's, he's submitting to the curse even that he didn't deserve so that he could redeem us. And, and he's, he's trusting God through all of it.
0: yeah yeah go ahead James it's
1: really interesting because you know if you
3: you think about in Paul's thought right of Jesus as this the second Adam um but like where did Adam and Eve ultimately fail well I mean we saw them in a in a sort of unbroken humanity um when they were taking God at his word relying on the protection of God the provision of God and and uh the promises of God like they just they leaned into him right they trusted him um so in a pre-fall world, humanity, unaffected by sin, was utterly dependent. They were just happily utterly dependent. And what we see in Jesus is bringing, you know, and in, in now a fallen world, part of how he, he uh, uh, inaugurates the kingdom of God and in the inbreaking of this new world is to actually be the, the person who all like at the very core, right down to his bones, excuse me, uh, depended on God mm-hmm. and didn't try to live independently, even at the moment of greatest crisis. Yeah. And so this is really a picture in that moment of what, of what it means to be fully human. And that is to be fully trusting in the goodness of God towards yeah. us. Um, that's the essence of our, of, of, humanity of what it means to be a yeah. fully human person.
0: Yeah. And I think the other thing is that idea of us becoming our own judge, it's, it's essentially saying, I'm going to choose not to do that. I'm going to choose to let God stay that judge, even though I might feel justified to, to be that because I've been uh, hurt or attacked. Yeah. And that kind of ties into, I guess, some other things you're saying in terms of like the people that are the wrath of man on Christ here. Not only is Jesus, is our sin imbued into Christ, but his righteousness is now placed into us. And so in a way, we can't even see our own sin and our own wrongness because to acknowledge it without redemption is, it's impossible, right? It's essentially condemning ourselves in a way. Um, or maybe it's not impossible, but it seems like not, (laughs) there are a few people that would embrace condemnation on themselves without the redemption that, that Christ gives us, uh, Tracy, what would you, um, add to this dynamic and in terms of, you know, Christ is entrusting himself to God. And then all of a sudden you mentioned suddenly earlier, suddenly a bunch of stuff starts happening. (laughs) And then if anything you want to add to what was already said, go ahead as well.
2: Yeah, I want to um, reiterate the quote that I wrote down, I I believe from Greg, Jesus trusts God, because he knows God. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Um, And it's not just head knowledge, either, right? It's, um, it's a spirit, a heart. I mean, in Jesus case, it's, it's some kind of Trinitarian connection. Um, That's just a great quote. And I think what occurs to me is that, um, gosh, we can't do this on our own. <laughs> you know, we, we can't even be fully human on our own. Yeah. Um, I think a lot about the abundant life, right? That's what Jesus says he brings to us, abundant life. And being fully human
0: yeah.
2: is life abundant. And the only way you can get that is through Jesus, growing in him, Um, and then you're pulling in, um, time in God's word and all kinds of, um, whatever spiritual practices you, you bring, um, to, to mind. So, yeah, it kind of becomes this more complete picture, right? Like, um, I, you become a Christian and you're like, okay, I'm good. (laughs) Well, there's so much life, um, beyond that. And, and I think the Christians who I love to be around the most are the ones who are like, I want to be fully human. I, you know um, if I mocked, so be it. If I, you know, had things to surrender, to give up. I, I remember one time um, and you can cut me off if I go too long. One time in Bible study, there was a Older woman who's a, a mentor of mine, I have such respect for her. And she told our group, I often pray that God would show me the sin in my life. What a brave prayer. Like I don't know that I'm always brave enough to pray that, but yeah. she knew and recognized that any um sin that she was carrying around, any unconfessed sin, etc., was going to separate her from Jesus. And she didn't want any of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, I'll, I'll say the quote one more time. Jesus trusts God because he knows God. It's really yeah.
0: beautiful. So, t- uh, Tracy also speak into the, the sudden events we've got the, yeah. the temple curtain carrying. We've got the, these mm-hmm. saints um, coming out of tombs, we've got the centurion claiming God as mm-hmm. son of God. And then we have a few disciples that are a few followers that have not abandon Jesus and, and women. his death women. and the the women, yeah, the three Marys. <laughs> so tell um, us about that.
2: Yeah. Well, when I when I initially read this, I tried to um step back. And I mean if you see the earthquake, you're looking at nature, right? So nature responds. And then if you look at the curtain in the temple, um Jesus religion is responding. Yeah. And then, um, and Mary, and we, we do know from other things that weren't read here that John the Baptist uh, or not John the Baptist, um, John, yeah. uh, disciple, John was, um, also there in the crowd. And so then, then we bring in people, right? Yeah. So every, everything is responding, um, to, I, I wrote it down when I was. Yeah. Even the people were
0: the people that were just watching, they were beating their chests, like, they were responding in some way
2: <laughs> yes yeah. well it, which um that's a pastor's dream right re- this demands a response um, <laughs> yeah how, however you respond um it it cannot go without a response
0: yeah yeah that's interesting james you have something to add to that <laughs> no i was just
3: laughing
2: <laughs> <at it.
0: laughs> pastors yeah it's
3: not how it goes uh <laughs> um
2: i grew up southern baptist did i mention that um, a lot lot of altar calls in my day
3: <laughs> these events are well i i mean it's it's hard again there's a lot of mystery here i've never heard anybody <laughs> you know talk at length about the tombs of the people and saints who fell asleep were raised when their tombs were open i mean i don't i i, I think I mean, in a very simplistic level, this is not, uh, it sounds to me like Greg is uh, a, a bit more theologically astute than I would be. So he probably <laughs> could put this in a better way. So I'll, I'll put it in uh, maybe terms that maybe I think about, like the, the, the veil's torn, right? These, uh, like, there's a new beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Something new's happened, like the old world is dying. And then the new world, uh, there, there's a, a song by Rich Mullins, who's my favorite songwriter of all time. And, um, he, he has uh, a song called the land of my sojourn and, and, um, and at the end of that song, it's actually a song about uh, the birthing of and the development of our nation with a lot of biblical imagery in it. And, um, uh, but, but in that song, he talks about how the old world started dying and the new world started coming on. And, um, and that's what that that's a line that I think yeah. about. when I'm reading this. I'm like, um, there's a whole new super reality that's becoming suddenly visible and yeah. tangible. Um, that is a, a glimpse. It's a momentary, like, very tiny glimpse into um, you know preview of coming attractions. There's there's something happening here. Like, are the accessibility of God that when Jesus said, like we talked about earlier, come, come to me all who thirst or come to me, all you who are hungry or, uh, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy. And I'll give you like all these invitations of Jesus, like you and me and every single person that's lived since has had direct personal access to come to God because of this moment. Right. Yeah. And, and so I, I just look at it and I go, I'm so glad to live on this side of reality. Um, But it's like a supercharged new world that we're, that we're Mm -hmm. in. And, and that whole remaking of the cosmos and Romans eight and all the different levels of that, (laughs) that, Greg, you were talking about. It's like, that's underway, man. Like, like that is like, suddenly we're getting, we're getting a glimpse that, yep. It's like Jesus, like the new world's getting its boots on and it's on the move. And like, we've stepped through the wardrobe, you know, like we're, um, so it's pretty breathtaking
0: yeah yeah i, I love that idea of just the, the finishing the ending of the old and the starting of the new and kind of the the two dimensions ver- merging or flashing in this moment uh greg what would you say to the this these sudden events that un- unfolded here what would you add to that or point out for us
1: i think uh Tracy and James have really covered it um, well. Uh, they, yeah, as Tracy mentioned, you know, everything is responding. Uh, mm-hmm. You have the whole realm, uh, the whole temporal realm, right? Is is under this curse because of us, um, and it wasn't. It, it was subjected in futility, but for a goal. And um, we have this sort of a verbal. Um, reverberation of, of uh, God's judgment um, on sin, um, all coalescing, right, with, with uh, the justice and mercy that's displayed in this uh, profound way on the cross, then Christ giving up his soul. And then you have nature, the curtain, it's, yeah, so, so very profound. And yeah. I think they, all that I can do is just, again, uh, <laughs> say that I'm, I'm in agreement with Tracy and, and James on this. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah.
0: Well, I want to close us out. So Greg, if, if you'd start us out and then I'll, I'll go to Tracy and then James can, can finish, um, you know, what, how would you wrap it up? What would be your final remarks? What's, is there anything you wanted to share that you didn't get a chance? Um, Greg, I'll, I'll start with you.
1: Well, I guess uh, you know philosophy is we're all philosophers, right? and uh, and so coming to the table here, um, I'm I've been blessed by the three of you and so I'm very thankful to have uh, taken part with you guys and I would say, you know philosophy done well, not a, not of the world, right? but um, according to God's general revelation that he's manifesting creation um, that clearly displays his glory. we mm-hmm. should be examining ourselves. We should be examining our basic beliefs. And uh, this shows God's judgment on sin in Christ. And uh, we can endure that, um, that spiritual death, that meaninglessness, is as, as we see in Romans 1, God gives us over. He gives us over. He gives us over. Um, we can endure that, uh, or we can see that the strife and the division within our our own hearts is uh is drawing us to reflect on god's glory manifest in creation and now in his word in the scripture um this is the only way that justice and mercy can agree there is no other way um, by which we can see the satisfaction of god and the redemption of of humans that have turned their backs on him um so yeah just
0: yeah well and i i really the the satisfaction particularly with the substitution it's so it's so satisfying and rich and i just couldn't imagine doing without it as a christian you know Mm -hmm. tracy what are your concluding remarks final thoughts
2: well i certainly echo um what greg has said uh even even in the short time that we had today just to unpack such a monumental moment um what a privilege yeah and i i always envision god saying well not quite but you know you're getting closer on that idea so <laughs> yeah i just um i i love to uh to think of what he thinks of our conversations um it, most of the i I would like to look now that we've um compiled the crucifixion narrative i would i would like to really unpack um what each gospel had to say um Mm -hmm. you know like like james mentioned do they all say i thirst or was that john and boy if it was john good luck, you know, on that (laughs) rabbit hole, because you're going to be there a while. So um, that's the beauty of having the four gospels. Uh, How, Mm -hmm. how amazing, but I think what comes across um, loud and clear from this conversation and from the scripture that you've pulled is Jesus did it willingly. And I I can't, I can't get over that. Um, Everything that he was enduring in that moment, what it was like to to somehow, what even that looked like for God to abandon him forsake forsake him. Right. And then I keep, I, I do love the three women at the end. I, I half joked, but, um, it, they're so intentionally placed there. And, and I think of his mother and having, you know, a mother's heart myself, um, I don't know how she survived that God had to prepare her. I mean, from Simon, right. Clear from the very first time Jesus went to the temple. um, But was somehow prepared to watch that with her own human eyes. And that that's amazing to me too. So a a lot of willingness, a lot of um, well, and it's, it's so of oneself.
0: It's so unrelenting that she, she did not, look away in, in the sense that she was there till the end. And one of the few, like how, how many of us look away at any point in their journey. Right.
2: Yeah. It's a lot.
0: So anything else you
2: would add? No, I think I'm good.
0: James what uh, wrap us up here, close us out. I, I don't
3: know what to say. I mean, <laughs> um, um, like this never gets old, right? Like I think, I think creating spaces like this that aren't necessarily being recorded, but just opening the scriptures together and um, reminding ourselves and each other of the story that we're living in, uh, of what it is we've been caught up in is, um, it's stunning, right? Like I, I can come on and having whatever, you know, real, but, but, but at some level, very um, momentary things that I'm dealing with, like challenges that we're all facing in our personal lives. And we'd brought up somebody who's going through divorce and um, uh, earlier kids going through, you know, so we've all got things like the the world's a painful place. It's a dark place. And, um, you know, and it's something about when the, when the, when that, when the world darkens in the middle of the day as Jesus is on the cross, I mean, um, I mean, life apart from Christ is dark like that for a lot of people. We're experiencing a world that's in a lot of darkness right now, and it feels like the whole world is raging. And uh, and too often, uh, Greg had mentioned earlier, just the the need for the church to get itself in order and stop worrying about the state of the world. And too often the church is joining the world in outrage rather than presenting an alternative to that, and um, and so I, I think what I what I'm struck by is we were talking last like close to the end about Jesus's humanity, and showing us what to be fully human means dependency, surrenderedness to to the Lord, um, and and we talked about guilt and we talked about sin and and those things which are real and. But there's also this thing of weakness and need that's not actually a part of sin. There's a part of weakness and need that preceded sin. Um, and, and I think Jesus might be showing us something of that too, like the willingness to bring our weak selves um, to, to, to trust in, to entrust our souls um, to God. Like that's, that's the essence of Christianity, right? Is to go, man, I'm guilty, I'm weak, I'm needy. And then I think the the big part for us in our culture is, I, I guess what I want to, this is maybe what is to stay there, right? That we don't become Christians and then move beyond that. That lived Christianity is the retention, the the, the maintaining of that posture of repentance and faith in, in a place of conscious weakness and need and dependency upon uh a righteousness outside of ourselves and upon a power outside of ourselves, if we're going to have built our lives in any way uh, that is going to be of any usefulness to the Lord and, and good to the world. Um, and so I, I guess I would just say, I, I hope this provokes us, uh, myself, um, and, the, and anybody who would watch towards a distinctively Christian posture of empty-handed, repentant faith, in a weakened needy state. That's, that's happily. So, um, because that's where real life is found. Um, and so I don't know that that's kind of what's sitting on me, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for listening to this episode of share life for additional stories and systems to live better and work smarter visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. We look forward to having you listen in on the next episode of Share Life.